I don't know if you uh, were able to get out and about much this week, but I found myself at home quite a bit. And um, I'm an an introvert, which might be surprising because I stand up here and talk to you all the time. But um, I love people, but I just need some time by myself to get recharged before I do it again sometimes. So I was at home on my name like, this is great. This is like, I get time stuck at home. I can't go anywhere or do anything. And then, you know, Monday turned into Tuesday and Tuesday turned into Wednesday. And on Thursday morning, I got on a Zoom call. I wasn't even with these people in person. And uh, they asked me a question. And like 15 minutes later, I finally stopped talking. And I'm like, I am so sorry, you all. I haven't talked to people all week. I didn't know I had so much stored up inside of me. I will not talk the rest of the meeting. So um, maybe you've gotten to be out and about. Maybe you're not able, haven't been able to, but I'm glad that you made the trip out into the cold this morning. Um, I hope you got some hot chocolate. I was looking at the weather yesterday and I was like, four degrees. If people come out in four degrees, we need something sweet to reward them. So um, help us drink up all that hot chocolate. But today we're starting a brand new sermon series called A Generous Life. And I don't know about you, uh, but over the years, perhaps you have come into churches and you've heard sermons in which that word generous uh, was used to talk about how um, you are commanded to give to the church. Maybe you've come in and um, you've heard sermons on how you're required to be generous. Maybe you've come in and you've heard that to truly be a follower of Jesus, you must be giving at a certain level. And so I say all that to say that maybe as I say that word generous, you have already started plotting your exit. And if so, I don't blame you. Okay. (laughs) I have a little baggage with that word myself for those reasons. And uh, it's not my favorite thing to talk about uh, from the pulpit, but, um, What I want to encourage us to do over these next few weeks, if we can, if we can just try, whenever we come through the door, um, maybe just like put our baggage down just a little bit. You can keep it nearby in case you need to grab it back up again, but maybe like put that baggage down so that we can just explore that word generous anew. Because here's why I think it matters. I truly believe that living a generous life is a key part of of what it looks like for us as human beings to come fully alive. Take religion out of it and you start looking at the research and, and what they've discovered is that there is this undeniable link between us being joyful and generous. Like you can actually look at the human brain and you can see how we are hardwired for our brains to light up with happiness whenever we give away, whenever we live with open hands instead of closed fists. And so I find all that very interesting and it makes me curious. So let me invite you to get curious with me about this word, generous. Today, we begin our journey talking about this with someone who is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, who definitely was living his, living his life with his hands tightly clasped. Um, and um, I think you could probably use the word to describe him, like in this instance, as our anti-hero of the story. 
I was reading an article the other day about our current culture's obsession with anti-heroes, right? With, with these people who are the main characters in our stories, but don't have those typical heroic qualities that we look for. And they were looking at like all the, sto- all the different shows that, and movies that have been nominated for awards this season. And when you look at it, you find like, you know, these families that are grasping for power and hitmen trying to figure out how to get out of their profession and crooked lawyers who are caught up in a drug cartel or an ethically diminished therapist. The list just goes on and on of of these these characters that aren't necessarily very likable, yet they find themselves at the center of all of these acclaimed shows. Well, today we find a similar story in the Bible about an anti-hero, a character who I think people in his day and time would have gone beyond calling unlikable. They would have said that he was hated this guy. Um, Yet the story has been recorded for people to read across all of time. And in fact, not only has it been recorded for us to go back and to read, but it is recorded in in a lot more detail than a whole lot of other stories that we have preserved for us in scripture. Perhaps, maybe the reason could be that that you know the the same the same reason that's kind of underneath all of those anti-hero stories we find ourselves drawn to today. Perhaps it's because, like in this story, we see one of the flaws that we as human beings tend to have, like magnified and blown up at this 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 crazy level, right? But also, it shows us that redemption is possible. Our anti-hero's name was Zacchaeus, and he lived in a city that seemed to be a pretty happening place in the day of Jesus. It was the place called Jericho. And Jericho was the first city you came to whenever you crossed the Jordan River um, into Israel. And it was also, if you're coming from the north down to Jerusalem, it was in your way. You had to go through it. And and so it got a lot of traffic. Um, I actually got to visit uh, Jericho last fall. And when we were there, one of the things we discovered besides, you know, getting to ride camels, which was an adventure. Um, one of the things we discovered is that um, Jericho is actually one of the oldest um, inhabited cities in, in the world. Um, they have done digs here on this hill and they've gone down and they've been able to see like civilization after civilization after civilization that's lived there. And they've, got, they've kept digging until they finally have found remnants of people who lived there in 9,000 BC. And there's like walls that remain that once surrounded the city. There's um, a watchtower. You can kind of see part of that watchtower there that's still preserved. Uh, But this is an old place. Like people have lived in this spot for a very long time. But in the day of Jesus, um, they had this uh, palm forest that had these sweet smelling flowers. And it was so beautiful that people would come from all around um, because it was described as Josephus, the historian, as the divine region. It was that sweet smelling, that, that wonderful of a place to be in. It was like heaven. Plus, the Romans loved to trade the dates grown in this place. And so um, as these dates went all around the world, Jericho became famous for that. While we were in Jericho, is dad awake back there today? While we were, <laughs> he raised his hand. <laughs> While we were in Jericho, y'all might remember, you tried a date. How did you like that date, dad? It tasted like wood. Why did it taste like wood? You ate, you ate the pit. You ate the pit. Yeah, he ate the pit. But 
<laughs> he wasn't a fan, all that to say. <laughs> but the, uh, this long-established city, it kind of had it all. You know, it had location, it had beauty, it had goods that were traded, it had fame. However, all of that added together, what it did was also make it a place that was prime for something else, and that was taxation, right? There's money to be made in this spot. And that is where our friend Zacchaeus comes in. Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector who was um, taking money from his own Jewish brothers and sisters and giving that money to their enemy Rome while also taking a little bit extra for himself. Um, He was not only doing that, but he was a chief tax collector, which means he was doing all that, plus he was skimming money um, off the top from all the other tax collectors beneath him. I mean, like, he was even more corrupt and culpable in this oppressive system. But one day, his greed collided with the generosity of another person, and he was never the same. This is what Luke chapter 19, 1 through 2 tells us. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. You know, we've got these two names in the same sentence that people would have never put together. Jesus and Zacchaeus. They have this encounter by chance. And Zacchaeus, he is curious. He wants to see Jesus. But he has a little problem. This is what verse 3 says. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Like, I get this, all right? Me and Zacchaeus, we're in this together. Solidarity here. I mean, every time I go to the movies, I, like, pray the whole time that no one will sit down in front of me. And if someone does, that it will be a small child. Um, I have almost walked into more of the automatic doors that are supposed to open when they sense you than I would like to admit. And whenever I go and film videos over at the Melrose campus, yes, they do have a step for me to stand on. So I get it, Zacchaeus. Um, I have climbed my fair share of sycamore trees as well. Um, But there is actually a tree that still stands in Jericho that's been dated back 2,000 years that tradition has held is the very one that Zacchaeus climbed up in that day. But can you imagine it? Here's Zacchaeus in this crowd of people, and he's like at first like trying to stand up like on his tippiest tiptoes to like see over and find a spot. And then maybe he's like jumping up and down, like trying to see until finally he sees this tree and an opportunity, right? He takes off and he climbs up and he's perched up on one of those limbs. And then His and Jesus' eyes connect to one another. Jesus um, has, has his attention on Zacchaeus, and this is what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Think about that. Out of this entire crowd of people who are clamoring to see Jesus, Jesus zeroes in on the most unlikely and the most unlikable of them all. Oh. 
Not only does Jesus see Zacchaeus and acknowledge him as a person when everyone else has written him off as an object, as scorn, but but Jesus, he goes beyond that. He, he goes on what would have already caused people standing around the crowd to disapprove of and gasp. He, he goes beyond acknowledging him to invite himself right over to his house <laughs> to share a meal with him. You guys, you have to understand what a major social faux pas this is. Who you ate with in that day and time, it said a lot about who you were. And so for Jesus to sit down with Zacchaeus was sending a message about, about himself. But Jesus was undeterred. He looks at Zacchaeus. He says, I must come to your house today. And um, you can safely assume, assume that the people standing around were appalled and shocked. In fact, Luke spells it out for us. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But not Zacchaeus. He's, he's not even hesitant. Zacchaeus, it says in verse 6, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus has been generous to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus gets it. He knows it. He has experienced it. And so he is so excited. Immediately he comes down. Immediately he welcomes him. Jesus has shown this extravagant love, this abundant grace, this, this radical acceptance, and Zacchaeus wholeheartedly receives it. But in this same moment, as he receives it, suddenly he is totally transformed in this instant. It is as if the generosity of Jesus breaks this dam of greed that has surrounded his heart. And joyfully, all this generosity begins to overflow into the lives of others. His experience moves him to action. Luke says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said, so in other words, they're at this table, everyone's sitting down. Zacchaeus stands up so that everyone is looking at him, so that he has everyone's full attention. And he says, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. I want you to notice something here. Jesus did not ask Zacchaeus to do this right? He didn't demand this. He didn't shame him into it. He did not even offer it up as a suggestion. No, Zacchaeus, he goes above and beyond, paying back far beyond what is required by the law. And it's very interesting because like just one chapter before, we have another rich man, um, a rich man that you might know as the rich young ruler. And unlike our anti-hero Zacchaeus, who was the unlikely person to be at the center of the story, this guy, the rich young ruler, he had hero material written all over him, right? Like he was the head of the class. Everyone would have assumed that he would have been first in line to enter God's kingdom. However, he really wanted to make sure, you know, that all of his eyes were dotted and all of his T's were crossed. And so the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, and he, he asks Jesus some questions to make sure that he has secured his spot. He asks, what must he do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus replies with his typical answer. 
the typical answer that any rabbi would have given in that day. He says, keep the commandments. And with great pride, the rich young ruler says, well, I have done that since my youth. You know, you can just imagine his chest puffing out as he says this. But Jesus, of course, can see this man's heart. Sure, he's kept the commandments. He's kept the letter of the law. He is an all-star by those terms. However, he's doing this, Jesus can see, out of, like, obligation. He's doing this to perform well, to pass a test. He's not doing this out of the overflow of his heart. And so Jesus gives him a challenge. He says, go and sell all that you have and give it away to the poor. And do you remember his reaction in this moment? He goes away sad, right? He goes away sad. Sure, he's kept all these rules. He's done everything that it takes to get an A+. But in reality, he is holding on to his accomplishments and to his wealth just as tightly fisted as Zacchaeus. It doesn't seem like he's ever really allowed himself to experience God's love and grace and acceptance in his own life. He's never allowed himself to consider that that God loves him before he does any of those things, before he keeps all of those commandments. He's not really willing to let go of control and let God transform his heart. So he, he goes away sad. The truth of the matter is true generosity happens out of the overflow of our hearts. Archbishop Desmond Tutu puts it this way. Generosity comes from seeing that everything we accomplish comes from God's grace and love for us. Certainly it is from experiencing the generosity of God and the generosity of those in our life that we learn gratitude and to be generous to others. We love because God has first loved us. Our experience moves us to action. We give because God has first generously and and extravagantly given to us. And it is his generosity that moves us to be generous to others. Let me share a beautiful example of this from right here in our church. This is Emma Kate Nally. You might know Emma Kate. She was, uh, she's around quite a bit. Emma Kate comes and participates in our youth group every single week, um, but not really so much for herself. She is the oldest of all the kids that are over there by far, but she comes because she has sensed a call of ministry on her life, and she wants to come and invest in the life of the younger girls who are there. And so um, around Christmas time, she decided she wanted to be generous. She wanted to do something for these young Young girls um, that she loved. And so, um, first of all, she decided she wanted to, to be generous with her imagination. You know, you might expect that she would just go out and buy something, right? Like that she would go out and get them something trendy and cute, or that maybe she'd get them like a Starbucks gift card because sometimes she does spoil them with those kinds of treats. But instead, she said, and these are her own words, she said she wanted them to realize how special each one of them is and how God loves them every day. And so she decided that she was also going to be extremely generous with her time. She decided that she was going to write each of the... Now, how many was it? Do you all know? 
There were six. I thought it was four, but it's six girls. This makes it even better, okay? Six girls, right, that she was going to do this for. She, she decided that she was going to create a jar for six of these girls, and she was going to write a hundred reasons why God loves each of them, and that she was going to put those hundred reasons in each of their jars and give it to them as a gift. Now, Ginger and Courtney, not to throw you under the bus, but you all heard this and you're like, whatever. <laughs> She's going to write like 10 and be done with it, right? But Emma Kate, she insisted, no, it had to be 100. And then she gets out a piece of paper and she starts writing these reasons by hand, one after another after another. And again, they're kind of like, hey, like, are you going to like type these up and cut them out or something? And she's like, no, it has to be by my hand. And so she wrote and she wrote and she wrote until six jars of 100 reasons why God loved these girls um, until each one of them was full. And then here on Christmas Eve, she gave these girls these gifts. And if the story stopped there, it would already be like an amazing story of generosity, right? But it didn't stop there. Like we said today, generosity, it, it happens out of the overflow of our hearts. Our experience moves us to action. And so um, Addie Kay and Gracie Lee Harris uh, were two of the recipients of these jars. You can see them there with them. Aren't they cute? And uh, what they do is every day they take out one of the reasons and they read it. And they felt so loved, you all, so loved by Emma Kate and so loved by God that, like, they couldn't just hold on to that. One day, Gracie Lee, who's in the third grade, she, she decided that she was going to take her slip of paper to school and give it away to someone else who needed to hear the same thing. And so she and Addie Kay started packing up these slips of paper in their backpacks and, like, taking them to school to give them out, like, prizes to their friends. Uh, one day in particular, Gracie Lee, she, she was kind of talking with her mom and wrestling with something a little bit. She's like, should I take one to so-and-so? You know, she does doesn't really go to church and then she sorted through it herself and she's like yeah I should take one to her because God loves her too um and then on another day she challenged her mom she gave a piece of paper to Brittany she's like I want you to take this to work and give it to someone who needs to hear it and if you know Gracie Lee you, this is not a surprise right she is in charge so she gives it to Brittany and Brittany goes to work and she gives it to one of her coworkers. And when her coworker receives it, she is just like so overwhelmed by the message that she has read and felt so loved that like without prompting, she immediately knows like I'm going to give this to someone else. Generosity happens out of the overflow of our hearts. When we experience the extravagant love of God, it has to go someplace. It cannot be contained. It must be given away. Um, honestly, that's how mine and Jeremy's giving journey began as a couple. Um, when we were about to get married, we didn't have a very solid game plan. We just knew we loved each other and we were, it was all going to work out, right? There was a lot of faith. Uh, but, um, our parents had modeled giving for us in our homes, but once you fly the nest, you got decisions to make all on your own, right? And so, um, we're, uh, we're trying to figure out, um, uh, I don't know how many months it was before we got married, like, 
how we're going to make ends meet, where we're going to live. Uh, Jeremy had gotten a job with a nonprofit. I had a very part-time job at a bookstore when out of nowhere, God generously provided for us. This little tiny church and this little tiny town that we had never heard of said, hey, we have this parsonage that's just like sitting there empty. Um, you can come live in it for free if you'll help us start a children's ministry. It was like, okay. So we moved to, yeah. <laughs> True. I uh, know. It was fun. I would do it again. But um, now, even with that generous provision, we were um, living on love and those $1 Tostino's pizzas. Y'all remember those? I'm sure they are much more now. Uh, but when it came time to give back to that church that we were been a part of, like it was just like not even a question for us. Like there was no way we could not give back to what God was doing there because God and these people, they had been so generous to us. And so um, we felt like, you know, we, we had to give that love back. It had to go someplace. I'll be honest, it wasn't a lot. <laughs> we started pretty small. Um, but as we've gone along, we've tried to take our next steps in, in, in giving generously um, because, y'all, it's fun. It's fun to give, especially as you recognize how much you have been given. Um, and, and every time we step in these doors and we're a part of you, this church, like we experience that. And so it's truly one of the greatest joys of our lives. But again, generosity happens out of the overflow of our hearts. When we experience the extravagant love and grace and acceptance of God, it has to go someplace. It can't be contained. We can't help but give it away. It's not a have-to kind of thing, right? Generosity is a part of the joy for which we were made. The story of Zacchaeus ends with Jesus speaking these words. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. A lot of times we, we read that word salvation and we assume like that is talking about our eternal destination. That place that someday we'll go in, when we die, right? Way off in the future, down the road. But in reality, salvation is something that starts right here and right Right now, Zacchaeus had lost something, something that, that was essential about, about what it means to truly be human. But Jesus had brought healing and restoration. He had brought salvation to that part of his life on that day. And he became more fully alive. Zacchaeus had moved from living life with closed fists to living it with open hands and began to experience the joy that God had always intended. And so here's what I want to invite you to do today. This is, um, this is a playful experiment, okay? You don't have to do this, but um, if you're filling up for it this week, this is what I want to challenge you to do. Just pay attention, okay? Heighten your awareness. Pay attention when you experience generosity, generosity from God or from another person. Allow yourself to just really soak that generosity in, in that moment. And then if it starts to want to overflow, don't stop it. Let it overflow. All right. And see what kind of joy it brings about. Let's pray together. Lord God. We could spend the rest of the day list, list, listing off the ways that you have been generous in our lives. God, it began when you shaped us from the dust. 
and breathes life into our lungs. You're the one who sustains us, the one from whom every good gift comes. And so, God, in these next moments, as we continue to worship, as we continue to sing, as we give, as we spend time out in the Welcome Center talking with one another, in all those moments, God, we pray that, that all of that would be a praise, that all of that would be an offering back to you as we just allow your goodness to overflow in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who gave his very life for us. Amen.